and welcome to the Bloomberg Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep, and with me today is Brad Miller, CIO of Moderna. And I'm also joined by uh, Sam Fazelli, who leads our healthcare coverage and is our director of research in the Europe region. So, Brad, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mandeep. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here today. Great. So Moderna became a, a household name, uh, you know, with COVID and the speed at which uh, the company came out with a vaccine. And I really wanted to dig deep today in terms of, you know, how you guys go about using technology to drive research and really what is the next kind of level of development that you are looking for in terms of using technology to drive you know some of the new uh, things that you're working on and and so with that backdrop perhaps we can you know start off with your background and uh, how you came to moderna yeah thank you very much um, so I was lucky to grow up um, as an adult uh, in my career at uh, Microsoft and Amazon um, during their growth phases. And so um, hardcore technology and being part of a tech, tech company and a tech community has been at the forefront of, of where I've been since the start of my career. Um, and, and after that, um, after spending about 20 years there, I decided to venture off and see what the rest of the world was like, uh, specifically into the financial industry, and then that led me over to uh, Moderna. It was a great opportunity to come here and have an impact of doing what I do great in terms of building technology and platforms and systems, but to do it um, with the mission to have the greatest impact on, on humanity. And you put all that together and it, it's such a great place for me to be. Look, when we think about, you know, as, as a guy who covers technology, uh, we think, you know, a pharma company, yes, they spend a lot on R&D, but it's not really about their platforms or the technology or their databases or the cloud environment they have. So can you give us a sense of what is the platform underlying, you know, all the R&D that you're doing and how is it different from, let's say, any other pharma company? Yeah, well, given I'm new to the industry a year in, I can't talk quite about how it's happening in all the other pharma industry, but I can talk about um, what we're doing here. And specifically, one of the things that attracted me to Moderna off the bat as I was looking for a new uh, adventure was the fact that they are a platform company. And when I met with Stephen Hogue and I met with Stefan Bonsell, when we talked about industries between technology and, and pharma and biotech, the parallels of how we thought about it from a mental model perspective were exactly aligned. Um, and that's what was really the driving force for me to, to come here, uh, given it was so, um, so, so aligned in terms of how we wanted to approach problems. And so when I think about what we're doing, I do think that um, it's imperative that we do have technology platforms that are providing capabilities at scale. So we, we are focused on what I call the digital core and the digital core is around bringing engineering excellence to Moderna in terms of how we run, operate, and build our technology stack. I have a cloud environment um, and a cloud focus, a cybersecurity focus, and a data and AI focus. And so those are foundational elements of a digital core that allow the company to scale. And if you don't think about it like that, then you're going to have bespoke solutions everywhere and a lack of controls and security posture across it. And so 
we're really focused on building from the digital core out that scales the company with common patterns and practices and controls of how we manage and operate and run our software. Um, that's great, uh, Brad. So this is Sam Fazzetti talking from the BI team. One of the things that I think is very difficult for folks to judge, and now having been in this industry for, you said about a year now uh, in the pharma side of things, is, yep. is how to decipher fact from fiction. Because a lot of companies come up with ideas about AI and how it's going to revolutionize or how they're using it to revolutionize drug development in their world. How would you tell, what tools do you think we could use as either analysts or investors to try and decipher uh, the difference between fiction and reality? I think the facts are really based on data and actually Moderna's founded on data. Um, I would argue we're a data company of right from the start and that's enabled us to use AI on top of our data so that we can get to answers of the right um, sequencing for for drugs that we bring to our patients. And so I think that for me is one of the key ways in which you can tell fact from fiction is how fast is a company coming out with um, drug development? And if you look at what we've done uh, at Moderna in terms of reducing the cycle time from six to eight years down to two years, um, in terms of the entire process that we go through for drug development, um, I think the facts speak for themselves. And again, the long tail is around the clinical development trial and the regulatory requirements that you need to have to, to file and ensure safety of our patients. The actual time it takes for us to create the right solution um, using AI is, is, is hours to a day um, in terms of, of, of getting to the right answer to what would be the, the, the right medicine to help cure disease. And so um, I think the facts are really there in terms of how fast we're, we're progressing. I think our portfolio speaks for itself. Um, you know, we have um, up to 49 different new drugs in development that we're working on through different stages. Um, and that's, that's a substantial number for a small amount of people inside of a company. Um, you know, we're at 6,000 employees and yet we have that many drugs in, in, in our development life cycle, which, is, which I think is, is significantly different to uh, most of the industry in terms of how, how I've, what I've learned um, and what we're seeing. Yeah, so do you actually um, prompt me for my kind of next question that I, Moderna has worked on mRNA for several years now, right? I think, I think inception was 2010. So it's been several years that, that uh, you know, a decade perhaps that they've been working on molecules for potential clinical development. I've looked at how long it took, say 10 years ago, to go from idea to that you're ready to go manufacture versus now is there is there a metric that makes you smile i mean i already saw you smile is there something that you, you i think you alluded to a number already faster etc but could you put some hard numbers around it maybe you don't want to do that for competitive reasons but anything you can do help us uh, yeah. to help us um i smile because i speak to my teams all the time about what is the from and to that we're measuring um and it's it's such a great metric to to identify um, I actually don't have the data as to what it used to be to where we are today. Um, something I'm going to take as my homework so that I have a complete story myself. Um, and, and so I don't know what it was like in 2010 and to what it is now. Um, but I do know the narratives of the story of COVID and 
and and once we receive the the sequencing um, of 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 COVID within hours to um, less than a day, we had the right um, the right sequence to you know to to develop that vaccine, um, and and so that's all, that's that's the best that I have right now in terms of that. But just just to piggyback on that, so in terms of uh, development and testing, and you know, I I look at any IT project or any software development cycle. You, you are developing the product for a while and then you are testing it. Is there a parallel to be drawn here for uh, Moderna in terms of how they go about, you know, uh, drug discovery and uh, how that data layer actually helps you either on the development side or the testing side? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we, the conversation we were just having was around getting to the right sequencing, right? In terms of how fast we can do that and how AI helps with that. And I'm specifically machine learning. Um, there's many right answers up to 36 to 40 um, uh, permutations that can be used. And, and the speed at which we get to the right answer is based on our algorithms. Um, and it's just not an algorithm that picks like which one will have the best efficacy. We have to balance that with uh, the durability of the drug, um, with the, um, you know, the shelf life of it. And so there's a lot of different variables that go in it to get the right one. But then there's also dosing, um, using ML to understand what's the right dosage and how fast can we get to the right dosage um, and, and ensure safety of our patients. And so that's another great um, aspect to um, what we're doing in terms of the life cycle. But then it extends into clinical development, like into the clinical trials. It extends into how we're doing submissions and our regulatory filings, how we're responding to customers' uh, questions and and healthcare provider questions and regulatory questions, and and then and then if you start adding all that up together, there's a huge from and to in terms of the amount of savings of time and expense that we have in employing both machine learning and generative AI into the capabilities of us getting a drug out the door. Oh, and you, what, you mentioned what, my favorite phrase, generative AI. So yeah. I have to go there. You know, uh, I mean, uh, from machine learning to generative AI, like. How has that transition been? And really, what are you looking to do using generative AI at Moderna? Yeah, so for Moderna, it was actually a pretty good lift to go from machine learning to, to generative AI, given how profound we our systems are and our culture is around machine learning to begin with. Um, and so the, the lift was 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 fairly um, was fairly achievable in a short amount of time. Uh, but what we did is, um, I mean, back in February of 2023, with the um, with the open sourcing of, of large language models, uh, as you all know, everything exploded. And what Moderna did is we ran towards generative AI. We didn't run away from it. Um, and so we were able to build our own internal Gen AI capability, which we call mChat. So it's called Moderna Chat. Um, and we use open APIs, APIs for us to integrate with um, and and but yet our interface is our own, and so so we developed it so that our employees could have a safe place for them to try and learn about the the technology. And within about six months, we had seventy percent of our employee base using MChat. Um, now, having said that, at this point, um, OpenAI has has accelerated their development, um, and so we have two options going on at the same time: our internal version plus the enterprise version um, of 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 ChatGPT Enterprise, but it's we ran towards it, and it really allowed us to experiment and learn all the use cases, um, and 
At first, we were counting use cases. Um, hey, we had 76 use cases this week. Um, and now we, we've stopped counting because it's like people are now using it in as part of how they do their job every day, not as a trick to to like one time do something. And so it, it's been it's been a huge uptick for us uh, at Moderna in terms of bringing Gen AI to to our company. So, so if I might just jump in on that point, um, I, I think it, on your AI day, you um, you laid out the percentages, how the how MChat was being used in, uh, for uh, what percentage of the time it was used for speech generated uh, writing versus it. So, but one of the things that I'm quite interested in is in the work that you do to speed up IND applications. I think one of the things you mentioned is when the questions come back from the FDA that you can much more quickly respond to. How do you manage the risk of hallucinations in that setting? Yeah. Um, that, that's, that, that's something that I've, I'm trying to get my head around. Yeah, so uh, very good question. And to right now, based on the importance of answering accurately, we have, we have manual reviewers uh, of the answers that are coming back um, as that final check. Um, and so we're not there all the way, but if you think about the amount of work and effort that's been brought down to synthesize all those questions and essentially have a chat with our data to get the response that's appropriate, um, it, we've, we've sped up that process significantly, but still the safety and the accurate answer needs to be validated by a human. And we have that as part of our workbench where, that, um, where answers need to be remo re still reviewed. And yet you think that still cuts, out, cuts down the time of response? Massively, because we can actually mine all the different questions that are coming in, proactively have a chat with our internal system to get the appropriate answers from the data that we have, and then just do a final review of that. And that's a huge lift in its own right. And, and again, we're really trying to focus transforming how we work at Moderna so that our employees are spending the time on the most important part of their job instead of the, 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 the mining and the harnessing of the data and of the text um, so that we can bring it more quickly to life. Now, I might, I'm going to risk sounding like actually I know something about AI by asking this question. <laughs> I've, I've read a paper, <laughs> the impact of AI errors in a human in the loop process. And, and this was brought up in a, um, a stat conversation that I heard with the head of a VC uh, who specializes in investing in AI in, in drug development and healthcare. And one of the things that was, I think that's what it was brought up. I, I hope I'm not wrong, that, that you can actually introduce errors because humans end up relying too much on the, on the AI generated output and, and, and not worrying about those checks. So, the, so it's no longer hallucinations, but it's actual errors. And how much does that keep you awake at night in this human in the loop error risk? Yeah, I mean, it obviously does keep me up, keep, keep me up at night. Uh, a bunch of other things as well keep me up at night. Um, but when I think about reducing the amount of error that would go into getting the wrong answer versus the human in the loop reviewing the final answer to ensure that it is accurate with the expertise that we have and the checks and balance, I think you still end up in probably a less error prone um, environment than what we had previously with, with, with inconsistent, unstructured data all over the place, because it must be structured if we're going to use it in a certain way. So the improvements of the back end of getting the data into a standardized um, data model that can be used at scale, 
um, correctly more often is what I think drives the huge lift um, into the system to reduce the errors. Um, and then, yes, check and balance on the, on, on the final answer. And actually, um, uh, Brad, to that point, how much, I mean, I, from what I recall from the AI, uh, AI day, there was already quite a lot of effort in the company to have that data in, in the most structured way possible. How much more work did you feel needed to be done when you came yeah. in to build this on the data background? We're at the beginning of that journey, to be honest. And oh, okay. I'm happy, happy to share with you. Um, I, I don't believe in the field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. Uh, what I believe in is taking a platform approach and a specific use case and building the foundation of the platform of your data platform as you go building upon it with every use case. And that's the approach that we're taking. Um, we have a lot of what I call back book data, which is historical data versus front book data, which is coming in. Um, and that's the new data that we get from say clinical trials. And when you think about applicate, the application of how do we speed up the drug delivery, I'm really focused on the front book use cases that allow us to um, build our systems with the new, so that new is on new. And then over time, we will deal with the legacy back book in terms of porting it into the new data format, into the new data structures, um, because that's very important data that we have. I mean, that's the crown jewel is our historical data and the use of that data. But again, we're doing use case by use case by which we'll bring that data and port it into the, the, the new platform. And is, is there a training element here? Because, I mean, a lot of the things you're talking about are cutting edge, you know, deploying new technology. And for, you know, folks who have been doing R&D for a number of years, you know, they're used to a certain method and, you know, a workflow. So how are you dealing with that change element when it comes yeah. to deploying technology? I appreciate that because you can bring the best tech forward. And if you're not enabling your people to actually use it, it won't be used. Um, so we have something which is called the AI Academy. Um, and given that, you know, our, our founding roots are in research and academia, um, we have a concept of, of, of really a learning institution. And our AI Academy was originally founded on data and machine learning. And then with Gen AI, we plugged in another module into our AI Academy, which is around teaching our workforce how to do and use our MChat and our generative AI tools. It started off with fun stuff like um, to gain traction, like funny things that you could do with Gen AI, like make it make it give me a report that sounds like a pirate. Um, and people found that funny and they they got attracted to the use the, of what you could possibly do with, with Gen AI having a conversation. And then we started, we did a prompt engineering contest across the entire company teaching prompt engineering. Um, and so then we started getting more novel solutions um, out of our workforce. And then that led to the notion that we believed we would need to have separate M-chats, like a legal M-chat, an HRL chat, uh, M-chat. And sure enough, at the same time, we saw the industry start doing a shift away from a single um, you know, M-chat or chat GPT to having multiple GPTs, which align very much with what we saw happening in our own workforce at Moderna, is we needed to eventually get to the point of separate GPTs within our environment that are very specific task-based. Previously doing it on our own, we would have to build the software that surrounds that, that GPT. And now we're very lucky to be leveraging enterprise 
uh, chat GPT that's helping us create these GPTs uh, independently for different use cases. So are these like apps that you are building on the foundational model and pretty Correct. much uh, use case driven? Okay. Essentially, they're applets that get wrapped. Like, because you just can't have the, Gen AI, like the use of Gen AI happens in a workflow. It happens in a, like legal document review is a great example. Um, and so what's the flow and what's the application that you leverage large language models within that experience that ties it together in a good experience for our legal department, for instance. And, you know, that's one of our key use cases that we've used uh, over the past year as well to highlight the benefits of, of Gen AI. Uh, so Brad did promise not to go into the weeds of specific drugs or products, etc. I do have a burning question on INT, but I'll I'll keep that. But on the influenza, if you can answer, so you had a first go with an influenza vaccine that had a subpar response on the B strains, the two types of strains. Then you came back with another version that did better and, and did well on the B strain. Was AI involved in that at all? Yes, very much so. I mean, it was exactly that. Um, I don't think the industry seemed quite as fast as a turnaround as that within six months to have another uh, flu candidate out into the market. And um, the end-to-end -end process and the use of AI, uh, both machine learning and gen AI through the entire pipeline, uh, really critical to how fast we were able to move. Can I keep pushing my luck there a little bit? And you can obviously push back. <laughs> yeah, was it the, the sequence? Was it the formulation, the combination with LMP? Was it the... Yeah, I don't... Um, probably best that I don't inaccurately uh, answer okay. um, to mislead. Um, but I do know um, the amount of data that we had, um, the synthesis of that data, the use of that data to, to actually tweak, learn, and iterate very quickly is, is really how it happened. Um, and obviously, um, the use of AI as part of that process was critical to our success. And of course, now you're in trials with the individualized new antigen therapy, Correct. which I'm pretty sure will generate very large amounts of data. Now, clearly you're in a partnership there. Do you still have the ability to, assuming privacy rules don't interfere with this because you have patients and et cetera, do you still have the ability to mine that data for designing and working, continuing to evolve product? Um, or does partnership get in the way of it? Or does patient privacy get in the way of it? How should we think about that? Yeah, um, I probably won't comment on that because uh, I'd want to make sure I'm vetted appropriately okay. in terms of the relationship plus the PII nature of it. But what I can tell you is that every single, every single patient, um, their tissue um, it has their own sequencing and we wouldn't have been able to do what we're doing at the scale we're going to do it at without machine learning um, to be able to get to the right answer for every specific uh, patient. And um, and it's it's something that's uh, I'm just really fortunate to be here at this time at the company when we're building that capability and partnership. Um, I think that's that's the area where I'd love to know much more detail as 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 time comes and as as yeah. when the company feels okay to talk about it. You bet. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll, do a, we'll do a recap again in, a, in six, six months to a year. How's that sound? I'll, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, uh, can I come back to the unstructured data uh, conversation that uh, I, I feel like you mentioned in passing, and I just wanted to double click on that. So, uh, when when we look at unstructured data, you know, in different domains, uh, it obviously, you know. Uh, can be helpful in in this context of training your large language models and in the context of you know an, an industry like pharma where uh, i'm sure there is a lot of uh, stuff that's getting digitized and there are, is a lot of good information that's hidden you know in unstructured data but if if you can elaborate a little bit on that and specifically in the context of uh, you know fine tuning uh, let's say a chat GPT or one of the LLMs that you're using, uh, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so a couple points there. Um, you brought this up earlier. And so I think it relates to this topic too, around how people work today in terms of generating unstructured data. Um, and scientists are very interesting in individuals with respect to the, you know, the processes that they've learned how to work and the tools that they use. And, and I argue it's one of the greatest opportunities and challenges that we have as to how do you enable scientists to modernize um, how they might be doing their work to get the data out of it into uh, and to more readily create structured data out of unstructured data. And so uh, I won't say I have the answer for that, but that, that's a really great challenge in, in the industry. Um, and so that's kind of one. In terms of fine-tuning models. We have not started fine-tuning models internally yet. Uh, we haven't found the need. So when, when it comes to the point we need to, we definitely will. We know, um, you know, we know we're working very closely with a bunch of different providers on, on what it means to fine-tune and learn to fine-tune. Uh, but right now, um, we don't see the need. Because the, the, the reason I ask is all the LLM companies would love to have, you know, uh, a data of the size of what you guys have built over the years to, you know, train uh, pharma-specific foundational models. And and I can only imagine what you can do, you know, when, when you have such uh, history of, you know, doing things in, in the pharma industry and, and that too, that's data driven. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I was just curious in terms of, you know, how you are thinking about it, given, uh, the roadmap that you talked about. Yeah. I think about it a couple of ways. One is, uh, certainly, as you mentioned, a, a significant competitive advantage, um, for those companies that will advance more quickly with the use of their data and understanding how to help the models more accurately um, represent their needs and their use cases. So definitely like that. I also think that there's an opportunity from an industry perspective, um, when you think about just um, all the research that's out there and fine tuning, having these LL, these large LLM providers think about how to fine tune uh, their models more generically, uh, but yet specific to pharma use cases. I think that alone will help with drug discovery and um, you know, helping the community at large. And so I, I do think there's a huge use case um, in terms of what we could get as a benefit from working as a collective with, with large LLM providers um, to help narrow in um, use cases specific to biotech and pharma. So Brad, um, again, I'm just gonna go back, back into the weeds a little bit. Um, if you can answer, is, do you feel, having looked at this for a while now, um, 
12 months you've been there, that you may be able to go back and solve for more complex products. So complex proteins such as antibodies or things that have got multi um, subunits that need to be assembled correctly, etc. Do you think, do you feel confident or not yet or need more time that AI is going to be able to help you do that and, and develop again more complex rather than a single protein yeah um well i do believe so which is why we're really working on what i mentioned the back book of data and getting it into a structured state so that we can use that going forward um i don't even i can't even dream of the use cases that our scientists will come up by having that data that corpus of data in a in a format and a model that they can just you know play with and 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 investigate whatever they come up with. And so that's really my job is to be the enabler to make that happen. Um, and so, so yeah, I do, I do believe so. I don't know about the, will it solve a more complex problem um, or not, or will there be something completely brand new come about or both? Um, I think is probably what I would anticipate, hypothesize that would happen. But again, my job is to get the data in a way in which they can have that opportunity um, to think big about where they want to go um, with the use of the data that we have. Okay, now I'm going to ask you something that um, I, I think I experienced it a bit myself. Um, does the age band in which, I mean, I think Moderna, I don't know what the average age in Moderna is. Um, do you find that folks that are much younger than me are more receptive to the change and chomp at the bit? versus the more um, folks that are similar to my age. <laughs> Do you feel that there, there is that element? And is, is that something that, that Moderna has an advantage in because of the average age of the company or? Yeah, I, I don't see that actually as a, I don't see age as a, as a differentiator between adoption. We've had broad adoption. Like I mentioned, 70% of our entire population um, has hopped on the use of, of our MChat. Um, and so, and let's take that population as a microcosm between young and old um, with, with a median being wherever it may be. Um, we don't see any differentiation of, of, of the data. Um, I would argue that as we move forward, um, it, um, it's no longer that there's data analysts and data visualization type folk um, who are doing that type of job in response to business questions. I do believe as we think about hiring in the future, um, hiring more comprehensive with data and data science as a key backbone to any job, whether you're um, in finance, HR, legal, research, is gonna be really critical to, I think, the success of the company um, as we move forward. And so I do see a shift because if you ask a Gen AI model a dumb question, you're going to get a dumb answer. Um, and so elevating how we think about the use of it and how we think about thinking about our business in a different light, I think will generate more decisions in a, in a faster way for us. Okay, great. I, I know we are probably down to our last five minutes and the way we like to end the episode is have like a lightning round where we uh, just ask, you know, a bunch of questions and you can keep your answers brief so that we can cover as many topics as we can on, on the podcast. So first question, any misconceptions about 
Moderna or their use of AI that you want to clear on this podcast? No, not at all. I just, um, I just think no misconceptions and we're just very proud of how fast we've adopted it and how we're moving it forward. Are you supply constrained in terms of GPUs or anything else you need to deploy technology in your data centers? Not at the moment because we're partnering. We, we, we have a, a principle, a mindset of pursuing multiple options in parallel. And so we're working with multiple providers to ensure that we can bring our use cases to life. How, how much of a role are hyperscale cloud vendors playing in, in your deployment of AI and uh, other technology? Uh, again, we're leveraging the, the big players, so we're lucky that they're the ones that are the providers for us. Got it. Uh, what could go wrong with the assumptions that you're making about the future, especially uh, and it, when it comes to the deployment of technology? Yeah, I think what could have gone wrong is if we decided to go all in with just one provider, given how fast the market is moving. Like, I've never seen anything like this. And so... What's important is the platform that we're building that integrates with all the different providers that enables optionality. Locking into any one might lead you down a single path. And we just didn't feel that was the right approach for us. So we've created kind of a, a, a multi-input, um, you know, a switch essentially that allows us to uh, hedge our bets and, and, and just provide the best uh, capabilities to our workforce. Got it. Training versus inference, which one do you think would be a bigger market when it comes to the deployment of Gen AI? Oh, that's a good one. Um, lightning round, I'll go training. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, again, you don't have to expand. So it's really something that, uh, you know, we're asking everyone uh, who comes on the podcast. And and lastly, I mean, you mentioned what keeps you up at night. Uh, anything in, in particular that you would want to call out uh, in terms of your biggest fears? No, I mean, uh, my biggest fear is not realizing this opportunity we have right now at this time to double down and, and use Gen AI uh, appropriately um, to, to do great work, um, you know, and that's, that's, I think, the most important thing is how do we do it safely and securely, um, uh, you know, with our patients at mind first and, um, and being able to ride this wave of innovation, which is just critical for us um, and the industry at whole. And, and I have to ask, you know, uh, a drug discovery question, given, you know, uh, everyone is looking up to find cures for diseases like different types of cancers. Is there anything you feel that's on the horizon or there is visibility in terms of finding a cure for uh, something that we haven't been able to do so far uh, as humanity? Well, for me, I, I get really, ex like, obviously very excited about our, our vaccine portfolio, very excited about INT, which gets to individualized. For me, um, the impact of rare diseases on what we're doing and given the impact of rare diseases on families' lives and, and the, obviously the individual who, who is sick, like for me, that is one of the, when, when I think about impact and I think about what, what Moderna can have in terms of outcomes of positively helping people's lives, like that rare disease portfolio for me is something I'm really excited about. Great. Thank you so much, Brad, for your time. This has been wonderful. Really a delight having you on uh, the podcast. And I hope we can do this again at some time in the future. But uh, thanks a lot for your time. You bet. Thank you, Mandeep. Thank, Thank you very much, Brad.